Welcome back to the Paris Sports Nutrition Podcast. My name is Liz Broad and I'm an accredited sports dietitian. Today, it's my great pleasure to be joined by not one, but two handsome young men from the USA. I have Joshua Brune and Jake Kaplan with me, and they are both members of the Parasoccer CP football team of USA, and they're just in their final preparations of getting ready to go to Chile for the Parapan American Games. Joshua is already a Paralympian. He was at the Rio Paralympics, and I welcome Joshua and Jake to the podcast. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. We'll start with Joshua. Can you tell us a bit about your background, your impairment, and how you got into playing CP football? Uh, yeah, definitely. A little bit about me. I grew up in Northern Virginia, bounced between Northern Virginia and Germany, played soccer growing up, had a mother who was German and a father who was an American soldier. Fast forward shortly after high school, or during high school, but shortly after, I joined the Army. I served for 10 years. Uh, I was in a few injuries overseas. I had a few traumatic brain injuries, uh, one being a pretty severe helicopter crash, and I was near a few explosions in Afghanistan. Unfortunately, I had a medic to retire after 10 years. Mm. And yeah, so as I was kind of just finishing my career in the Army, I saw that the Veterans Affairs was having kind of like a, a soccer getaway for some veterans. And uh, our current coach, Coach Sharp, was there. And he kind of it wasn't really a, a, a scout, but he kind of saw some people that might make it or might co- uh, qualify. So that just that's just what led me in into the uh, into playing with the team or having the opportunity to play. With. Did you know about CP so, soccer yeah. before then? No, I didn't know it was a thing. Unfortunately, it uh, when I saw that flyer and when I was brought into that camp, I'll be honest, it opened my eyes to all the Paralympic sports. I just never followed as closely as I as I should have. I love to see that the movement has gotten so much bigger now, but it's mm. it's awesome. And and I tell everybody, I think it's better. I think it's harder to be us, and I, I love being part of this community. Uh, and I hope, even though I'm an older athlete, I can stay around as long as I can. Awesome. And Jake, let's hear about your background and how you got into playing soccer. Yep. I grew up in, in New Jersey, and I was born with left-sided hemiplegia. So I have cerebral palsy on the entire left side of my body. I actually didn't know about CP soccer until I was eight months into my senior year of high school. I kind mm. of, what motivated me to play soccer was I had a, a bunch of friends that were starting to play on their travel teams. And, you know, through a lot of hard work, I ended up, you know, being able to make a travel team of my own. And I made a ton of new friends of my own too. And I really wanted to be part of a team. And through that, I worked really hard up until I was a senior and I wasn't getting, you know, scouted or recruited to go play at any colleges or anything like Mm -hmm. that. So I thought that I would kind of just enjoy my senior year of high school, start working out and uh, just enjoy the time I had with my friends before I left to go to to West Virginia. And Mm -hmm. in February of 2018, I was just doing some surfing on YouTube and I came across the para team's uh, soccer videos of them playing, I think, in, in some tournaments. I think it was the World Championships. And I thought mm-hmm. that maybe it was something that I could do. So I spoke to my dad about maybe reaching out to Coach Sharp. And I, I sent him an email. And within two hours, he responded to me, asking me more about <laughs> my, my disability. And one thing led to another. And I had to send in some videos. And 
And before I knew it, he put me in contact with the team's coordinator, Kevin Mellon. And I was off to my, my first training camp in March of 2018 at Clemson. Wow, that happened so quick. And Coach Sharp, he's got a very good eye and he's always keen to, you know, to find people who can fit into that team environment. So it sounds like you both had a great experience right from the word go with that. And I did have an interesting first camp too. Josh can attest to that. Yeah. Yeah. What happened? Yeah. So my, so when I, when I showed up to camp, I was completely not really expecting, you know, how fit I needed to be and what the standards of the team were. So my first training mm-hmm. session, I didn't survive more than five minutes of the first game that we played. <laughs> I was, I was out of shape. <laughs> I was cramping. Uh, you know, the medical staff uh, described me as white as a ghost because that's how dehydrated I was. I was cramping all over. Uh, and somehow I was able to, to pull it together and get myself to the first camp and get invited back to a, the second training camp in April. Mm. Yeah, completely underestimated it, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, Joshua, can you tell us about how your acquired brain injury impacts on you and I guess what qualifies you for being in CP football? Oh, uh, yeah. So I'm classified as an FT2. So it's one is, I would say, the most impaired on the soccer field. Three is the least impaired. So I'm in, right in the middle. I have a lot of balance coordination issues, a lot of visual issues. So I can see 2020, but the way I use my eyes is a lot different than somebody else. I have convergence issues. My depth perception is way off now. So it's just my ears, my eyes are not working together anymore as well as they should. Um, And that's the biggest issue I'm having. So I just constantly feel like I'm falling over. I'm on an elevator. I just had to compensate my entire lifestyle to this new to these new injuries that I have. And I think I do a pretty good job, but when I'm by myself, you know, and I'm frustrated, I tend to get overwhelmed at times just because it's, it's a little much, but I've had it now for about mm. a little over 10 years. And I thought, you know, maybe it'd get better, but it's just kind of stayed the same. I think I've just learned to deal with it. And that's fine. But yeah, so it's just mm. balance, coordination, but soccer is my rehab for me. I used to have to do a lot of like VOR one and two. Anybody listening, if they know what that is, it's vestibular uh, exercises. Hated it. Never thought yep. it worked. Was pretty upset about having to deal with this new lifestyle. And soccer has just honestly turned everything around for me and put me in a better place. Yeah, it's like a constant form of vestibular challenge, isn't it? Playing soccer. It is every day. Yeah. Yeah. And so what position do you play? So we play seven aside, depending on the mm-hmm. formation. So if I wanted to give you a general answer, I'm a defender. I do go forward quite a bit, but I do play in the back. Yep. Okay. And Jake, how does your CP, so you said that you've got left side dysfunction. So how does your CP impact on your ability to play soccer and what position or what area of the field do you tend to play? So I, I classify as an FT1. So I'm technically the most disabled player on the field when we play. Similar to Josh, I have balance and coordination issues on the field. I spend a lot of time falling over on the field, but also a lot of my <laughs> a lot of my a lot of my problems also I lie in, in stiffness. Isn't isn't that normal for so- soccer players in general? They spend a lot of time falling over. <laughs> Even the greatest. We- <laughs> We 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 do, but I I tend to spend a, typically a little bit a little more time 
on the ground. I think in this training session that, that we just had, I spent <laughs> I spent a decent amount of time on the ground. But honestly, I really don't realize it too much. To be honest with you, mm-hmm. once I'm on the ground, I'm, I pop right back up and just kind of continue to play through it. I also have a lot of you know problems with stiffness and spasticity, especially mm-hmm. in my left leg, more specifically kind of in my hip and in my IT band. Uh, so I you know make sure I stay on top of recovering, keeping myself loose. But I'm not really going to make it seem more than it is because usually, like I said, what, you know, if I get knocked down, I'm usually very quick to get back up on my feet and to kind of just play through it and, you know, keep myself mm-hmm. up and at them. And then as for my okay. position on the field, I'm also a defender, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I I typically tend to find myself more uh, in the in the middle of the field centrally. Okay. And the seven-a-side game is a very different game than an 11-a-side game in terms of it's a slightly smaller field, but basically you in general have to be a lot more active is it did it take a while to kind of adjust to that seven aside format and the demands of that format yeah so i uh i I wouldn't say it's as hard as for others i think we have some kids who just left college or maybe you're playing club and they're actively in their 11 aside team i guess fortunately for me I, i was 10 years in the army so i was away from the game for quite some time before i played the game so or before I was mm-hmm. reintroduced to the game. So it was a little easier for me to adjust to the seven aside game because I was kind of a blank slate. But yeah, it's uh it's a lot more running. Everybody thinks smaller field, less players, but there's a lot of sports science studies out there. The smaller the field, the more sport actions you have. Coach Sharp's gonna like me saying mm-hmm. that. I think he, he's the one that taught me that. But you have a lot more cutting and a lot <laughs> more sport actions. And we don't have offsides and mm-hmm. every player is involved in every step of the game. So if you look at 11 aside field, our field is as big as top of the box to top of the box without offsides yep. and only six field players. So we run significantly more than a traditional 11 aside game. And so Jake, how much fitter are you now than when you first started? Oh, I'm probably like 10,000 times fitter than <laughs> when I first started and I was I'm probably way fitter now than I was 2 years ago now that I'm in the centralized training program here in Georgia and we get to to train every day together. And when did that start, the centralized training program? We initially moved down here, I believe it was November of 2019. So just mm-hmm. a few months before the pandemic. So it was poor timing, but I guess you could say good yeah. timing because we were grandfathered into the program and the program was allowed to continue. Had a lot of mm-hmm. off time and having to train our own during that time. But yeah, we've been going steady at the Atlanta United Training Center since uh, well, November 19th, 2019, we moved down here, and then our restart was December 2020, and then we've been going heavy since then. Mm. And how many, is it the full team that's at that centralized training program? Uh, unfortunately, no, just with people's ability. We used to have a big issue with retention, so that's why we wanted to bring uh, centralized training into it to make sure we get people staying on the team longer, maybe compensate them for their playing. We started off with four. We have four now two players left and two players came in. We're still trying to mm-hmm. learn how we can retain players to train every day, but also why they work or study. Um, and also just a little bit of the budgeting issue. It's it's new to U.S. soccer, so super grateful that they started it. And hopefully in the long run, we can bring more players in and more budget. Um, but this is all a new thing. We just started, like we are the first team to do this under U.S. soccer. So couldn't be more grateful. And I'm glad I'm here. I get to call myself a professional. We sign contracts and we get to kick a ball every day for some money 
and money aside, I could care less. I just get to play at a high level every day. But I think it's great that they are compensating people for their time and, and energy. So yeah. yeah, it has. Awesome. It's yeah, it's really it's really been great to to be down here. I came down here after I graduated West Virginia in I think it was twenty twenty two of August, mm-hmm. and I've been here a little bit over a year now, and it, it has been you know a great experience and a great program to be a part of. I've found myself being you know three times a soccer player I was when I came in, and I feel like I've gotten a lot better, and uh, I'm really excited to to kind of put all of our hard work to the test when we go to to Chile. Mm, yeah and so what does your training look like give us a bit of a snapshot of maybe what a week in training looks like bearing in mind obviously right now you're sort of coming up to close to competition so I know it shifts a little bit but what would a typical week look like in terms of number of sessions on field in the gym etc our typical training week uh, it looks like (laughs) Monday we train Monday Tuesday Wednesdays and Friday Mondays and Fridays are typically our, our longer days. Our training block is from 11 to 1, but usually we start at around 11.10 and end maybe 15 to 30 minutes before that, that 1 o'clock ends. And then on, on Tuesdays, we have like a technical session with Atlanta. So we one of the academy coaches will come down and they'll train. They'll take us through like a technical session. That'll be anywhere from an hour to an hour and 15 minutes. And then on mm-hmm. Wednesdays, we have a, a double day. So we do a kind of a lighter session in the morning and then either at around eight or nine o'clock, we play in a seven V seven league. So we'll go play in that game later at night. And then mm-hmm. Thursdays are off days. And then Friday, again, we have that training block from 11 to one. And then we also have mm-hmm. programmed workouts that we, that we do on our own time, one to two times a week in the gym. Mm-hmm. So the group sessions that you have, is is really only with the four players that you have down there at the moment, so they can be pretty intense. Yeah, so our, our coach is constantly having to change up our training sessions. If anybody's hearing and they think four people kicking a ball is not intense, it's actually, I don't want to say harder, but it, it, there's, a, there's a lot of volume because you have less players, so it's higher repetitions, and we're still filling a two-hour block on some days. And it gets really, it gets really intense. We've become, we've really gotten to know each other and, and our, our best attributes and our worst attributes and, you know, who, who we size up on certain drills. <laughs> very, very intense. <laughs> yeah. But the, the, does anyone, the, the volume is, what's that? Does, does anyone take advantage of the fact that Jake falls over a lot? Oh, that uh, happened yeah. actually. Today. <laughs> he just lays down. So yeah. <laughs> I went into a tackle with Josh. And I ended up on my head. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it, I can't imagine having to sort of be, I, I guess, you know, coach has to be pretty creative in terms of keeping, keeping those sessions really challenging, but also keeping the variety up into, you know, because there is such a small group and, and it's great that you can, play a game against other people and have other coaches come in to create that variety in those sessions. So sounds like a really cool system that they've got going. So what about the nutrition side of things? Have you had much in the way of interaction and nutrition education or and I guess you live in your own homes at the while you're in Atlanta. So how do you look after your nutrition to support the training that you do? 
Uh, I'll start with this one just because I've been on the team a little longer than Jake. Initially, so I've been on the team since late 2015. We used to have a, a decent mm-hmm. amount of dietitian meetings. Uh, she's going to kill me. I forgot her name. In Chula Vista, um, she would bring us in Jackie. for some. Jackie, yeah. Yes. So she actually monitored our hydration levels. She's given us some cooking classes, a lot of good, just overall, overall dietitian classes. Our strength and conditioning coach, Dan, he gives us, you know, the preferred plates on the, on the days, you know, whether we're having a higher intensity day or a lower intensity day, how our plates should look to fuel ourselves for the day and for the next game. Um, and then, yeah, so in our current, where we're at now in Georgia, the three of those guys live together and I live on my own. Uh, I just can't have roommates. So I'm, uh, I don't mind it at all. I just, you know, but, um, yeah, I think we do a good job of, we're being supported on the supplement side. We're given protein powders and electrolytes, but everything mm-hmm. else is on us, which is fine because that's how it is for all athletes or most athletes. I think we try to replicate the camp atmosphere at our own houses when we eat on our own. Sure, there's that, you know, occasional Friday where we might treat ourselves, we're only human, but we do talk a lot about our diets during the week and what we cooked. And I know Jake is obsessed with salmon and I've been on a ground beef and steak kit lately, but yeah, we're just trying to replicate the those plates here and mm-hmm. then mix it up with, you know, just bouncing recipes off each other just because it doesn't sound like we're, I'm probably the worst cook out of all of us. And they have a grill and I don't. So just trying to get ideas from them throughout the week. But we, we are supported. We have a lot of good advice from our strength and conditioning coach. I can remember some things from Jackie. Um, and then all the resources I get actually via email, all the recipes or, you know, what supplements to look out for or not look out for. So I think we're doing pretty good. It's just putting, you know, just having the discipline to follow through with all that, especially when you are living on your own. And, and there's not a lot of people monitoring how you eat outside of the training session. Mm. And Jake? Yeah, I actually, I think it was, I'm not sure how long ago it was, but at some point I was, I was speaking to a nutritionist within U.S. soccer. His name is Jay Short, I believe. And I kind of wanted to, I was speaking with him kind of with the goal to, to put some, some more weight on and to kind of get my energy levels up a little bit. I've got a very, very fast metabolism and I, I wasn't kind of coming into this into the into the program. I was a little bit light on the weight side. I think I was about I was I'm five foot six, like 126 was 126 pounds. And in mm-hmm. in speaking with Jay, he kind of gave me a bunch of really great recommendations. He gave me a bunch of sheets. I was actually I have a bunch of Excel sheets that I was tracking my my nutrition on for a while. Mm-hmm. But um, basically, what I'm more of like a I really like weighing out my food but kind of jay took me off of that approach and kind of did it to more of like a, a sample size like using like my palms to represent a serving so to speak so i don't have to like weigh everything out and it would be you know three meals a day and two snacks in between which is a lot it is very difficult i don't really i wouldn't say i ate eat two snacks a day just because it's a lot of, of food to be to be eating and I'm, I'm very happy with the weight that i'm at now usually in the mornings when I wake up, I'm about 129 pounds, but I try to eat, you know, a fruit with breakfast every morning. Uh, with my lunch, I try to eat, you know, a fruit and a vegetable. And mm-hmm. for dinner, I try to, to finish off, you know, with, with a vegetable as well, just to kind of, to keep that. I feel like the more, I'm not a huge vegetable fan, but I find myself when I, when I do get 
some vegetables and some fruits in, I feel a little bit more energized and my, my body feels a bit better. And I do love to cook. I like trying new recipes. Like Josh said, salmon is a big one for me. I actually tried <laughs> cooking my salmon on a cedar plank in the grill the other day. And uh, for anyone that's listening, don't put the grill on medium high heat because I completely charred the plank and charred the salmon. And when I went to go eat it, it tasted like a cedar plank. And it was, it was, a, very, it was a very disappointing meal, <laughs> to say the least. I do like to eat a lot of steak. And at Costco, they have, they've got like, you know, four or five steaks for 50 bucks. And I'll go in and buy them and I'll freeze them in my freezer. And every time I want a steak, I'll take them out and defrost it and have that too. So I really like playing around with new recipes. Uh, I, I think a mistake in a recipe just teaches you more about the food and you know what you can put it with and what you can't put it with. So I, anyone who's experimented with recipes, if you don't go wrong at some point in time, you're not learning and you're not challenging yourself hard enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I'm interested in, Joshua, you said that you get supported with some electrolytes. How important are the electrolyte side of things to you guys? Like, Jake, you said that when you went to your first training session ever with the team that within five minutes you were cramping. And most people think that cramping's directly related to electrolytes. And, yes, there's a component, but do you guys find that the electrolytes are, are really beneficial for you? And if so, how? Uh, personally, for me, I feel that just water alone, it actually passes through my system fast and often if you know what I mean um mm-hmm. and having spoken yep. with Jackie a couple of years ago just recommend just changing my ratio of sport drinks or uh, electrolyte drinks or some some kind of salty drink to water just kind of getting higher on that sport drink side so I do find mm-hmm. myself even through the day trying to I'm trying different electrolyte powders um, tablets just something to keep the water within me if I if I do plain water it just mm-hmm. runs through me and I notice a difference in my performance on the field, whether it's a placebo effect or not. If I'm having, I don't know if I can say sponsors or names out here that U.S. Soccer is not sponsored by. But if I do have an electrolyte mixed drink, I feel that I do stay hydrated longer and I'm using the bathroom less often. So I, mm. I try to prioritize those as well as having water in between those drinks. But yeah, I'd say I'm heavier on the electrolyte drinks. And I do think I stay hydrated and I just feel better overall kind of staying with in that direction mm. and drinking those a little more heavier than water, especially on training days. Because Georgia is a pretty hot place to be in the middle of summer, isn't it? Right. Super humid in the summers, yeah. Mm. Yep. And Jake, what about you? Did you find that they help with your spasticity in any way? Do you feel like they help preventing those cramps? I don't think it helps so much so with, with my spasticity, but I definitely think it it helps with with my energy levels on the field. And I mm-hmm. definitely think it does, it does help with cramps. My first, my first year or so on the team, I really did struggle with cramps, but I also think part of that was my body wasn't really well adapted to the exercise. Mm-hmm. I think the more I've been playing on the team and especially the more I've been training here, not only my, has my body adapted better to the, to the exercise, but I think that along with the electrolytes and the, and the hydration supplements that were we're given it definitely accounts to my energy levels on the field especially when we're in the august in august in georgia and it's you know 88 degrees and humid we're definitely we're sweating a lot so i definitely have a couple glasses of electrolytes or or some sports drinks before we train just to to make sure that you know i'm not going in 
dehydrated and I, I don't bring down the intensity of a session because of the fact that I'm not yep. really hydrated and don't have the energy that I need. Yep. Yep. And what about monitoring? Do you have ways of monitoring your bodies in terms of, you know, some people will use a watch and there's lots of different variants of that. Some use maybe a, a heart rate monitored strap. Looking at recovery rates and resting heart rate, do you have a system of monitoring yourselves? Uh, I personally don't. I, I know a couple of the guys wear watches uh, during the training session. I think what I go off of is just uh, the RPEs and how we tell our coach how we mm-hmm. feel after a training session. And then he kind of tailors, he kind of gets a general consensus of what our RPE is and he, ch- he tailors to that week's training sessions or those week's training sessions to those RPEs to fit a certain number that day. And I think that's helped us mm-hmm. as far as working out in the gym. We've talked to our SNC coach and I know for some people it's different. I know people can go to the gym three, four times a day for me. Or I'm not a, not a day, but a week. Uh, but for myself, one to two sessions max, just because we're on the field and it, we're really beating our bodies on the field. And for us, that's a priority. Now, I know we need to have strength to complement what we do on the field. But for us, that's our priority. So we're just, it's just kind of maintenance. I would say, at least for me, and at a little bit of an older age, I've, tr- I've kind of changed how I look at the gym and how I treat myself in the gym. But yeah, so mm-hmm. it's just kind of all off the field all off that RPE system. And then as far as personal, I guess, hydration goes, it's just kind of seeing what color comes out and just how it's just off of how, how you feel or how I feel. And that's kind of how I base my recovery off of. And I feel like we've done this mm-hmm. so long. Um, we know what to expect and how we can push and what thresholds we can push as far as soreness and other factors like that. So I think with repetition helps, mm-hmm. but having that arc scale has helped us, I think the most, at least for me. Anyway. Yep. Okay, cool. Jake? Yeah, and I I had an Apple Watch, but I find it kind of too distracting while I'm out there. Uh just, you know, checking the time or kind of just like, you know, I don't I don't want to be fiddling around with it. In camps we do have uh we wear heart rate monitors and, and pods, so Dan, you know, he can track our accelerations or, or decelerations, our, our heart rate, you know, how many sprints that we're doing in a game and you know what our in game recovery time that we're doing is. Mm-hmm. In CTP, we have uh, these player maker devices. So they, we have these like elastic bands that kind of slide onto our cleats, and there's like a little Bluetooth device in them. And with that, it doesn't necessarily track our heart rate, but it, it tracks how many steps that we're taking during a session, how many touches that we're getting on the ball, uh, track the rate at which we move. And I think that mm-hmm. is also really helpful too, because by by using that data. It also kind of tells how much running we're doing in a session in relation to to how hard our perceived exertion could be, which could also mm. which is also useful for kind of tailoring those those training sessions and is has been something that has been really cool to use too. I've never had to, to wear them. They are a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> they squeeze my feet and my arches a little bit, and I'm at that uh-huh. awkward foot size where I can't go to a bigger one because uh once I kick mm. the ball it'll go flying in the air. <laughs> but they have been useful that's <laughs> and that's one of the ways oh, that we like that's yeah yeah it sounds like a really interesting new technology that's come out it's amazing what technology improvements have done but how simple it needs it can be like I think a lot of people are they take advantage of the technology but then they're a little overwhelmed by the amount of data that comes out at them 
<laughs> and so it's interesting, Josh, that you say that now that you've had that number of years of experience, you can tell by just how you're feeling and and you're kind of probably more intuitive to the way your body's responding under different stresses and and how well you're recovering. What's also really nice is is that every other week we see an athletic trainer and that's been a huge huge help uh I know to myself and to to the rest of the guys as well because there's after a week's worth of training or two weeks worth of training there's definitely going to be some some issues with with knots in our legs and and tightness and it's been there's mm-hmm. just some some areas that you know especially for me like foam rolling I just can't can't get them out myself because I it's it's a hard position for me to to hold myself up on the ground with and so mm-hmm. it's really great that we see he goes by Jeff uh but it's been super helpful seeing an athletic trainer and then on the side with my own insurance I see a physical therapist and dry needling I think is super helpful too I, I do get dry needled every every now and then the needles are scary I have to watch mm-hmm. them go in but uh the overall effects I feel are are worth it for me afterwards yeah Yep. As long as you've got an experienced practitioner who's doing that. <laughs> you wouldn't want to be dry needling each other at a at a competition. I think that would get a bit rogue. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, I was actually so Jeff doesn't dry needle me, but he was telling me I had a whole conversation about dry needling with him and he said uh basically the class you have to take, he had like he was every place that you could possibly be dry needled you were dry needled. He was dry needled in his back. He was dry needled in his sinuses. Like he was, he was telling me like he was dry needled in his neck. Some places I would not even think to want to put a needle in. He was, <laughs> he was needled there. Oh, oh, well, I guess you've got to experience what happens as a result, huh? <laughs> yeah. So can you give us an idea of recommendations you'd have for maybe younger people or anyone um, who hasn't really heard of CB football, who maybe has an acquired brain injury or has CP. Can you give us some recommendations as to perhaps how they can get into the sport and how they might be able to get involved? Uh, yes, yeah, so social media is a wonderful thing. Believe it or not, the way we, the way we recruit is kind of, it's different. You know, we'll, you know, if we've heard of an injury to an athlete, we'll reach out to them. Our coach has an email where he can be reached out to. Also, mm-hmm. I think even before that, if you have some kind of impairment, I don't think life is over. For myself, I thought it was for a bit. I was miserable after my injuries, mm-hmm. and I just didn't think I could do anything again. And fortunately, I found this, and I was mm-hmm. able to compensate and work around those issues. So before all that, before reaching out, just know that there's some level of competition out there for you in regards to soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, we have some great grassroots programs out there called CP Soccer US. And we also have our team, which you can be reached. You can reach directly out to our coach, and he might ask for a video, ask you about your background, and it's it's easy to come in, or I would say relatively easily to be invited in. It's just much more difficult to stay mm-hmm. in. So you know you have to yep. work for that crest uh, every day. But uh, it's 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 mm-hmm. a unique way to come into the team. But there's opportunities mm-hmm. out there. Your coach always says your number and the crest is not promised to you. You have to fight for that every day. I know Jake and I do every single day, but those younger kids need to stay motivated and just know that, you know, it's not over just because it's a little different for them, their lifestyle, and there's definitely something Mm. for them out there, especially. Yeah. And I guess, you know, Jake, you were born with your impairment, whereas Josh, you've acquired yours at a 
you know, at a mature adult stage of your life. And so I think that learning how your body is different and obviously you get frustrated, why can't my body do this? It's always been able to. And just that coordination and being able to get your body sort of used to things. And you said that before, I I thought it was interesting that you said that your impairments are stable. Do you think if you weren't playing CB football that the impact of those impairments might actually have increased that 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 you whilst you're stable and and you don't feel like they've improved they at least haven't gone you know backwards or or increased in terms of their severity so do you think that playing cp football has actually maintained your quality of life and and your ability to just um do what you do in in the in the big wide world you know, that's a great question. And I think about that. I'll tell you on the mental health side, because uh, I did hit a really low point. I was in special operations in the army and it, it doesn't get cooler than what I was doing. And I lost that. And I thought life was over mm. because of all this. And soccer emotionally mm. helps me. And I think if you're not in the right state of mind, the physical will not follow or the motivation won't be there. As far as physical rehabilitation, mm. just looking at the exercises I had to do prior to joining the team. I mean, you're pretty much just shaking your head, seeing how dizzy you can become and how fast you you can recover. And like, <laughs> from my understanding, just rewiring your brain. And soccer does that mm-hmm. because it's a 360 sport and yeah. there's so much change of direction. So I, I don't know if I would be better or worse. I just know I'm in a good place emotionally. And I think that's helping the physical. Um, but I do think mm-hmm. it replicates some of the rehabilitation that I've been introduced prior to the team. So I think I'm better off now. But I really harp on that emotional stability and that motivation. Without that, nothing else would follow. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You're absolutely right. And Jake, one of the questions that I asked your coach, Stuart, in the podcast that we did with him was whether he has to modify his coaching in terms of you know doing a certain skill. And he said, no, no, I, I ask them to do something and they find a way of doing things. And the, that ability to problem solve around what your physical impairment isn't allowing you to do but finding a solution and and being creative in terms of knowing what the outcome is and what the goal is and finding a way of getting there have you found that that soccer has helped you become more creative in in those ways of adapting to find a solution to the the physical challenge that's put in front of you yeah, I definitely think it's it's made me a more creative player on the field. It, well, actually, especially since we've been in CTP, it's it's made me a more creative person because the four of us we're always you know we train every day together and we all know each other's weaknesses, we know each other's strengths, and mm-hmm. uh, we we definitely try to 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 take advantage of that. And I think mm-hmm. when someone's trying to do it to you you have to find more creative outlets to to work around it and to get by somebody and it it forces you to to push yourself out of your comfort zone and try mm-hmm. things that that the other person wouldn't think you would do and it, mm-hmm. it doesn't work all the time but it definitely works some of the time and the more mm-hmm. that we go after it the more you tend to figure out you know what works for you and what doesn't work for you and you know maybe sometimes mm-hmm. even practicing the things that that don't work for you. And overall, it, it, it really has made me a more creative player and definitely a better player. Mm. And so leading on that, what recommendations do you have for coaches who may have athletes with some form of 
neurological impairment. Any recommendations you have for them? I I think for coaches trying to to treat the the athlete with an impairment just as you would a normal athlete I think is or an able-bodied athlete I think is the best thing that you can do as you know you can try to hold them to that standard as, as much as you can obviously there's different levels of CP and and different levels of of impairment but I think that just trying to to give the same accountability can really have an impact on on a player I know before I even came onto this team when I was playing you know travel soccer for my my town team our coach you know he would hold me to the same standards as my teammates and I I think for that it pushed me to to become a better player and I think trying to to treat them like a you know as close as you can to an able-bodied athlete will only help them and, and push them to to greater heights mm-hmm. and Josh any recommendations from you well that's a tough one I think it depends on where you are in your stage of soccer I think coaches always need to be there. I think there's a, a fine line of motivating, and I don't like to use the word coddling, but supporting. Um, I think if you're younger and you're on the verge of breaking, I think you need to alter your mentorship a little bit. But at the same time, if mm-hmm. you're part of the Paralympic team or a competitive team, I think that has to shift a little bit and you need to push them harder because like Jake says, I don't think you need to be treated any differently because if you're not, you know, just because you have an impairment doesn't mean you don't have that like internal desire to perform well and I think that we need to balance support and desire and we all want to win no matter what our impairment is or no matter what our sport is I don't think anybody enjoys losing so I do think (laughs) that perfect balance is what's needed so yeah that's where I stand so I guess it's all depends on the situation for me but as long as we keep people in the game that's all that matters so tough love is I guess the the best underlying word or words I can give you uh, but we all still want to win in the end. And I think winning makes doing whatever sport we do that much better. So, so yeah, that's mm. my mindset. People might disagree, but, but that's where I'm at. And what about any practitioners? So, you know, for example, Josh, you said that you'd work with Jackie and, and Jake with a nutritionist and, and also you've got, you know, a physical therapist and, and some other support staff. Have you... Have you found that you've had to educate them in any way about your specific neurological impairment and and they've had to adapt or have, you know they've been pretty good at asking the right questions that they need to in order to get down to the bottom of what they need to do to help you? I, I think I've always been surrounded by people who kind of already know my story or the story of the team or understand where my body's coming from before they see me. I see a a provider Mm -hmm. outside of kind of our atmosphere I think they look at me as somebody who has a it's not such a physical disability so they think maybe it's a little you know I'm kind of more traditional treatments and then I have to explain to them well you know my body tends to when I run I put 75% of my weight on my right side as opposed to my left uh, and then we talk that through so yeah it's it's a good mix but yeah it's pretty simple and it and I have no problems advocating for myself and speaking up and telling them I'm a little different and whether avenues of treatment mm-hmm. we can go through. Uh, but yeah, usually just surrounded by people that kind of already know us or know where we're coming from. So it's just, it just makes it that much easier. Yep. And Jake, you said that the nutritionists that you work with, you know, had to change the way you kind of approach food in terms of making sure that you're eating enough. Did you find it surprising how much food 
you need to eat to to really support your training? Yeah, because I when I had that conversation with him, I really kind of realized that I wasn't eating enough food. And once I mm-hmm. started to to kind of increase my my calorie intake, and when I started to I, well, another big thing was I wasn't really drinking enough fluids either. Uh, so when I started to increase my my calorie intake and increase my my fluid intake and add you know a little bit more of some fruits and vegetables, I started noticing that my energy outside of training, because that was a big thing for me. Like it was just I was I was feeling tired all the time. I was taking like you know, mm-hmm. not that I don't take two or three hour naps after we we get done with the training session now, but um I take I take fewer of those naps throughout the week. I didn't take a nap mm-hmm. today. I feel like before I I started kind of consuming more foods, I I was doing a lot of sleeping, and during the day when when it wasn't supposed to be when I was going to bed at night. But I also feel like it it also helped my recovery too. Well, the food and the fact that I think my body's just getting is is kind of used to the exercise that we do. But I really think the the calorie intake had a significant impact on my on my recovery as well as my energy. Mm. Mm. Great. Well, guys, I know that you've had a busy day and probably need to get some food into you right now and <laughs> get some rest and recovery ahead of tomorrow. So I really appreciate the fact that you've taken some time out of out of your schedule right now to, to talk to us and to tell us a little bit more about your story. But before you go, you've got one last question each. What's your favorite food? And we'll start with Josh. Oh, man. Am I allowed to tell you what it actually is or do I have to pretend to be super yeah. healthy right now? Oh, no, 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 no. There's no judgment. Uh, okay. Oh, man, I'm going to sound like a child, but it's got to be kicking things with French fries and honey mustard. Like, if I want to treat myself, if we're talking no dessert and we're just talking about real food, that's where it's at. Mm-hmm. I'll, I've been like that since I kid, and that's never changed. So it sounds basic, but it's hard to mess up, and I just really enjoy it for some reason. So that's where I'm at. Uh-huh. Okay. And, and you said if, that if, if there's no dessert. So what if there's dessert? sugar anything with sugar in it I, i'm a big sweets guy i think that's one of my harder even and getting older i can tell that it's it's gotten a little higher but uh, jake and i are on the tres leches kick, uh, kick right now oh. so <laughs> we talk about it at least once a week so i think, I think that's where we're at right now is the tres leches cake is, is our is our go-to dessert <laughs> what what's that tres leche it's i don't know what kind of thing a mexican dessert maybe but it stands for three milk cake and it's like a it's a oh, soaked yeah. cake Really good. So I blame Jake, though. That wasn't on the He brought it back. He introduced it to me. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. It's, 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 yeah. Explain it for us, I Jake. Would say, Come on. Yeah, I, the Trace, I think when I, Josh and I first started having the Trace Litches cake, it was in, it was at the end of our tournament in, in Peru, as we like to call it, our uh-huh. protein. <laughs> yeah, real protein. <laughs> real protein. <laughs> So, Jake, what's your favorite food apart from potentially this Tres Leches cake? That's a really that's a really tough. Um, I I think my my favorite my top two my favorite. I really want to say okay. I'm just gonna I'm gonna say it. I really really love eating rice. Like any type of dish with rice, typically like white rice. I have I mm-hmm. eat a lot of rice throughout the day and during the week. But if I had to choose something other than that, I would definitely say salmon. I really love, I really love eating salmon. I eat it like two to three times a week. I got it down to a science too. I bake like Mm -hmm. a a little more than half a pound of it at uh, 375 degrees for 25 minutes. 
I've got the seasonings that I like. I I time the rice so that it comes out perfectly when the salmon comes out. I've got that meal down to a science. You've got that well <laughs> and, and dessert, down. Yep. <laughs> for dessert, if it's not if it's not a tres leches, my favorite dessert would definitely be a chocolate lava cake. Definitely chocolate All right. lava cake. Okay. <laughs> Solidarity. <laughs> <laughs> He's naming all these healthy foods. Oh, awesome. I do like a pizza too. You know, pizza's good. <laughs> oh well, so there's a running theme in the podcast. If anyone says pizza, then the question is: pineapple on or not? Not. <laughs> I'm not yeah. a fan of pineapple on my pizza. On, you can always take it off if you don't like it. But I, I like sweet and salty <laughs> so I'm good with it. Ah, see, I think if I added up all the responses to that one, I think we'd be coming out pretty even at the moment between the yes and no camp. (laughs) Well, guys, thanks so much for your time. I'll let you get on to maybe having some salmon and rice or (laughs) tres leches cake um, (laughs) and some fries. So, yeah, I'll let you get on with your day. Really appreciate it. All the best for Chile. And I'll look forward to seeing how things go for the team. Thank you very much. I think it's really interesting how Jake and Josh talk about the fact that because they're playing with just a small group with each other all the time and they know each other so well, that it actually forces them to be more creative and to find different ways of playing their sport. I think that's pushing them constantly beyond their boundaries and making them better players for it. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast and that you might share it with your social media. Please join us next time when we talk to Sean Pollard, who is a Paris snowboarder.